welcome. If you're here for the first time, if you're visiting or a guest, I'm Toby. I'm the vicar here. A uh, big welcome to you if you're watching online. Great to have you with us. And uh, today we're going in the second part of our sermon series. We've been looking at, uh, we're looking for this, this next month, at the I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel. Uh, he declares I am various different things. And last week, uh, Betty was looking at uh, his statement, I am the bread of life who brings satisfaction. Today we're looking at another statement, I am the light of the world. And Flo, I've asked to come and do our reading today. So Flo... Um, right. Hold mic and read Bible at the same time. Here we go. Um, yeah, so it's John 8. If anyone has your phone, your Bible, get it out now. I'll give you a little moment. So it's John 8, 1 to 12. Um, excellent. Great. So, <clears throat> but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman called, caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what would you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him... He straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave, leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Flo. So there's that statement right at the end of the passage. I am the light of the world. That's what we're looking at today. I, this week, came across a really interesting photo that NASA have taken of the sun. I don't know if you saw this this week, but it was a picture of the sun smiling. I don't know if you saw this. These are, I don't know what the technical name for those dark spots are, but they caught this and they said, uh, the sun is officially smiling today. Now, that ball of flame at the center of our solar system is the source of all the light that we receive. And light, I'm sure you know the properties of light, but it is responsible light for all life that we have on this planet, uh, for the production of air that we breathe, uh, for the cycles of our oceans, the magnetic fields around our planet, gravity, warmth, weather. Everything comes from the light from the sun. And the claim of the Bible is that the sun along with every other star in the whole universe, came about when God said, let there be light. Boom, and there was light. All light, the power that we receive from the sun and from the whole universe, the claim of the Bible is, comes from God, who was the initiator in the first place. 
So for Jesus to say, a man, to say, I am the light of the world, was a bold claim. This time of year is a real time when people talk about light and darkness. Uh, Many people celebrated Diwali this week, the festival of light. Uh, Hindus and uh, Jains and Sikhs traditionally celebrate it, but many people have started adopting it. It's this idea that it's getting darker, the clocks have changed or they're about to change, and we're going to celebrate light. And actually there's various different stories within those three traditions, talking about the victory, not just of light over darkness, but good over evil. And in fact, light and darkness, good and evil, have become kind of uh, an analogy between the two of them. And Halloween, of course, uh, tomorrow. Uh, initially was uh, a Christian festival which took over a pagan festival which was all around celebrating the lives of those who've gone before. Uh, All Saints Day, uh, All Hallows Day and All Hallows Eve is Halloween, the the night beforehand, which originally was a a Christian, as I said, a a pagan festival taken on by a Christian festival, which more recently has become uh, Halloween as we know it today. And actually all of these festivals, including Christmas and Easter, if you're uh, not religious, if you're secular, they're kind of a great opportunity to have some fun, spend some money. The marketers love it. It's a great opportunity to get some money in. But is there anything behind it? Is there any reality of good and evil? Well, in Jesus' opinion, there is. There is good and evil, just as there is light and darkness. Uh, Yesterday, we had something called a light party here at St. Nick's, which was a, a celebration of light. And it was for, if you missed it, don't worry, it was for three to 11 year olds. Um, and I brought along our two kids. I, I, I brought along our four-year-old Barney, and I smuggled in our one-year-old, who technically wasn't supposed to be there. But we had we brought our, our, my son Barney, who's four, invited two of his friends from school. He's just started in reception, and he invited two of his friends, and they brought uh, well their parents because they had to, and they also brought um, uh, their siblings, and so they all came. And one of the the mums turned to me halfway through and said, "This is amazing." I didn't even know this was a church. I didn't even know this stuff went on there. This is so exciting. She said, do you come here to this church? I said, yeah, I do, actually. Yeah, whenever I can, I try to get here. I said, actually, I'm, I'm the vicar. She went, really? I said, yeah, I'm the vicar here. And I said, we only started four years ago, but we, re- we really love celebrating good stuff. And she said, this is amazing. Does anything else happen that I can come to? This is her first experience of something uh, like this, celebrating light. And at the end of the the gathering together, Eloise, our our kids pastor, did an amazing job of talking about um, loads of fun stuff and then mentioned Jesus as the light of the world. I am the light of the world. What did Jesus mean by that? And what should our response be to it? I think there are three responses that you might want to consider tonight. Hearing those words from Jesus, I am the light of the world. And they are this. Welcome the light. Walk in the light. And witness to the light. And I'm going to take those three in order. So first of all, welcome the light. Jesus says this, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. 
Now, let me just unpack why that's a powerful statement again. I am is the, the name that Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, called himself. Betty looked at that last week. I am who I am. I don't need to say any other thing than that. I am the one who's always been here. Jesus, in stating I am in those ways, all of his Jewish hearers would have pricked up their ears to think, God says I am. He says I am. That's the first thing. Secondly, he says the light of the world. He doesn't say one of the lights of the world. He doesn't say together we become the light of the world if we try hard enough. No, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Now, if anyone said that to you, maybe one of your course mates at uni or a friend or a colleague said, hey, by the way, I am the light of the world. If anyone follows me, they'll never walk in darkness. You might go, really? <laughs> really? I saw what you did the other night. I'm pretty sure you're not the light of the world. If any politician or leader claimed to be the light of the world, you'd go, hang on a second. I know that things don't add up. I know what you're like. I'm not sure whether I can believe you. Why can we believe Jesus when he says that? Well, because his actions demonstrate an attitude that is completely different to someone that you'd imagine in that position would adopt. And we see it right here in this passage. So let's have a little look at what happens in the passage that Flo read to us earlier. Some Pharisees, who are basically experts in the Jewish law, come to Jesus and they bring a woman. They drag this woman who is probably, who knows, but she was probably uh, not wearing a huge amount because she had been caught in the act of adultery. She's dragged into the town square in front of all the people. And the Pharisees say, this woman has been caught in adultery. Where's the man? Big question. Two people are involved in adultery. Where's the man? Not there at all. The woman is there, and she is in her darkest moment in her life. Can you imagine the shame that she felt about herself? But not just the shame, the fear of what was going to happen to her next. Because the Pharisees go on. The law of Moses says that this woman should be stoned. And they're right. That's what the law of Moses had said. So can you imagine not just the shame, but the fear? Is she going to lose her life? And it says that the reason why the Pharisees brought her like this was because they were laying a trap. They didn't care about the woman. They wanted to catch Jesus out. What's he going to do? If he says, let her go, then he's disobeying the law. He's not a rabbi. He's not a, a teacher, an upholder of the Jewish law. If he says, stone her, how could he live with that situation? What about mercy for this woman? He's trapped. Or is he? Jesus. I love Jesus, the way he gets out of sticky situations. He says, he starts, he doesn't say anything initially. He starts writing on the ground. And commentators have like debated what is he writing. Uh, and the word write on the ground is a word. And the common word was um, grapho, to, to write. But this one was catagrapho, which is to write against. So some people think that he may have been writing down the sins 
of the Pharisees that he knew were there at that particular time. We don't know whether that's true, but it'd be interesting if it was. And then he turns to them all and says, fine, whoever's without sin, go ahead, throw the first stone. Silence. As they all begin to think about their own lives. And then it says a really interesting, it says, and then they began to leave. The older ones first. Why do the older ones first leave? Did they have something to do, somewhere to be? Or did they actually, the longer you go on in life, the more you realize you haven't got it all together. You don't have all the answers. Everything that you put forward is not exactly how things really are. In fact, the weakness and fragility and frailty that you feel, you're more and more aware of. Maybe that is the reason why. But anyway, one after another, they all fall away. This is really interesting. Because we are tempted, aren't we, in our society to point the finger at those who don't measure up to our standards, whatever they may be. And we love to build people up and then pull them down again. And we all do it. It's part of human nature. But this, this, this challenge of Jesus is, well, before you start casting stones, before you start gossiping about others, before you start judging others, what about you? How are you doing? How are you getting on? Uh, my son, uh, Barney, the other day, we, were, we came to a stop we were trying to get out of the car quite quickly to get into something we were late for. And my wife, Jill, took off her seatbelt. And then I turned the, the, um, the engine off the car. And Barney immediately said, Mummy, why did you turn, take your seatbelt off before the engine stopped? No one is supposed to do that. <laughs> we've, we've trained him very well. <laughs> but here he is reading the law back to his mum. And uh, it was quite interesting because we're like, okay, yeah, we, we have trained him very well. But also, yes, we're guilty. He said, then he went on to say, it's like that naughty man you told me about who allowed everyone to have parties, but then he had loads of parties himself. <laughs> Leave you to guess who that was. Anyway, the thing is, we are all hypocrites, aren't we? We love to point the finger, and yet there are three fingers pointing back at us as the saying goes. And actually, that's what goes on in this passage. Because the battle we face, the spiritual battle we face, primarily begins in the heart. It is the attitudes and actions of our hearts. Um, I love what um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he was in one of the gulags, the the, um, concentration camps um, in Russia. And it prompted him to write a famous book, um, uh, the, um, uh, the archipelago, the uh, um, gulag archipelago. And he writes in it this line, which is fascinating. He says, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties either. There's quite a lot of that going on at the moment. But right through every human heart. The reality is that we are all a mixture of great and wonderful qualities and deep fragility and sin. And Jesus sees that in the woman and he sees it in everyone else who's gathered there as well. Uh, I love what G.K. Chesterton, the, the, the columnist, 
uh, from the, the beginning of um, the end of last century. He, um, there was a, the Times put out this question, what is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton wrote back uh, a letter which said simply this, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. In other words, it's each of us that struggle with the same problem. And the law reveals our guilt. That's what happens with the woman. She is banged to rights. She's, she's transgressed. She's got it wrong. Uh, and so have we all. We read the law. We read what God's best is for us. And all of us fall short. But that's why we need a saviour. You know, most of us tend to think, well, we're doing all right. We're pretty good people. You know, church people try our best. But has anyone here ever told a lie? Anyone? Okay, quite a few liars in here who aren't putting their hands up. I'm pretty sure that most people, most people online, come on, put your hands up. I, I mean, I've told a lie, definitely. Um, it's very easy, isn't it, to see the sin in others but not in ourselves. So what happens with this woman? Well, Jesus allows all these people to leave away. Can you imagine what is going on in her heart? Her heart is pounding. She's there on the ground. She's full of shame and full of fear. And everyone begins to leave. And then, and then he says, has anyone condemned you? And she begins to look up and see, they've all gone. What? They've all gone. I'm free. But then looks up at Jesus. And he says, neither do I. The very person who had the right, the only person who had the right to condemn her, says, no, you're forgiven. You're free. Enjoy your life. Go leave your life of sin. Sin no more, he says. Don't, don't go, go back into it, but have a great life. I forgive you. That is the power of the gospel. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he says he wants to shine the light on our hearts to bring about the truth of what's going on in our lives, to set us free from the stuff that holds us back, the addictions, the patterns of life, and to say, go, free, you're free, enjoy your life. So, Here's my encouragement, my first takeaway from this passage. Welcome the light. Jesus is the light of the world, and he welcomes you. He welcomes you whatever situation you're in, whatever your life has been up until this point, whatever's happened today, this week that you feel bad about, Jesus welcomes you and says, I don't condemn you, I forgive you. What a wonderful God we serve. Who does that? And I love this picture by Holman Hunt. You've probably seen this before. It's still the light of the world. It hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral. And uh, this is a picture of Jesus knocking on the door of someone's heart. It says in Revelation uh, 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. That's the invitation. Jesus says to the woman, I forgive you. Do you want to let me into your life? He says the same to us. I forgive you. Will you let me in? your life. And Holman Hunt famously, uh, someone, a critic, said, well, hang on, you've forgotten to paint the door handle on. And, and Holman Hunt says, no, there is a door handle. There's only one, and it's on the inside. In other words, Jesus is never going to force his way in. He just knocks, says, I'll come in if you want. We open the door. We welcome the light. And you can do that this evening if you'd like to. So, firstly, welcome the light. Second point, second response you might want to take from this passage is this. Walk in the light. 
encountering the, the grace of Jesus is what happens to this woman. This woman is facing death, and yet she is pardoned and free. But the question is, what happens next? Interestingly, in this story, we don't know what happens next. John doesn't tell us. It's a kind of cliffhanger. You know, there's the, the words Jesus says is, go, leave your life of sin. But we don't know what happened. Some church tradition suggests that that woman may have been Mary Magdalene, who we think was a prostitute and potentially was this particular woman. What happened with Mary Magdalene? She became a disciple of Jesus. She decided to follow Jesus. She was there all the way to the end. In fact, the women were the last at the cross, including Mary Magdalene, with Jesus till the very end. They were the first at the tomb, those women. Mary Magdalene was there. Why? Because her life had been changed. She'd encountered the grace of God, and she'd been forgiven everything. And, and nothing was too good, too much for her to give in return. Was that potentially what happened to this woman? I wonder whether John's just leaving it on a knife edge for us to say, well, you've received this amazing gift of new life and forgiveness. Which way are you going to go? Will you do the next part? Jesus, he says in verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Second thing he says is, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Whoever follows me. Did that woman end up following Jesus do we end up following Jesus? Because following Jesus is not a one-off experience. It's like every day you take a step and then another step with him. And of course, we fall down, we make mistakes, but Jesus picks us up every time and says, will you follow me again? And I wonder what happened there. When he says, uh, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, he's not saying Whoever follows me will have an amazing life with no problems. Far from it. In fact, it's, it's really hard to be a Christian. If you're thinking about being a Christian tonight, don't rush into it. It is not easy being a Christian. It's not easy following Jesus. No, in fact, it's very difficult. And uh, there is pain and suffering. I'm sorry to tell you that that is part of life. Uh, my, my wife, uh, Jill, on Friday... Uh, she went to have two of her wisdom teeth taken out. And uh, she went in for the op, and she came back. And she was in quite a lot of pain and bit chip monkey on one side. And uh, obviously, I obviously mentioned that. Um, and uh, was full of sympathy as well. And anyway, so she then, um, she then began to get more ill. And then the next day, uh, yesterday, she had to miss the light party because she had to go back in to go and see the dentist again. And then this morning, I had to take her to A&E. Uh, because uh, it had been so painful throughout the night, and she's been there all day. She's still there at the moment. And that is pain. Uh, and following Jesus doesn't exempt you from pain. Uh, and yet, there is hope in the pain. There is hope. And that is the unique message of Jesus. When he says, I am the light of the world, when he says uh, he is the bread of life, he's saying, I want to give you something that cha changes you inside so you can deal with this stuff as it comes along. And so he says, whoever's walking in darkness, uh, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Now, rules can't love you. You can follow all the rules, but you'll never be loved. 
Jesus is a person who wants to love you, to be close to you. I, I was really interested. I don't know. I went on BBC iPlayer the other day uh, this week and came across Louis Theroux interview Stormzy. Has anyone seen that? Has anyone watched any of it? Yes, a few people. It's really good. I, I thoroughly recommend it. Anyway, Stormzy talks about his life, his background in gangs uh, in South London. He talks about uh, his career. Uh, and then he talks about his pain, which is really interesting in the context of this. He said, I, you know, I went through a really painful process. He talks about a breakup of a relationship uh, after four years, which he feels deeply sad about. It comes across really powerful. Uh, he also talks about lockdown and the, the challenges of his mental health. But then Louis Theroux says, well, what, what's happened since then? He said, well, those two things, along with a few other things, really made me think about my priorities. And then he said, he said this. He said, um, he said, when I came off social media, this is his decision in lockdown. When I came off social media, the deepest thing that happened was that I could hear God speak I could hear God speak. He says it twice. There's so much noise, isn't there, in our lives. But I wonder, it really challenged me. It made me think, am I able to listen to the voice of God? Am I able to follow him where he's calling me to go? Not generally, but specifically today. Am I paying attention to his word? Psalm 119 uh, says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. Jesus wants to guide you in life. He wants to help you. He wants you to have the best possible life. So my challenge from this is listen to him. Listen to what he's saying to you. Uh, 1 John 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we walk in the light, there's that phrase. As he is in the light, as we follow Jesus, we have fellowship with one another. Fellowship, if you can allow me the word, and fellowship. Following Jesus is not a solitary activity. It is something we do together in community. Fellowship and fellowship go together. So, what would it look like? to walk in the light. Maybe you've welcomed the light, but where is God calling you? Where's Jesus calling you at the moment to follow him? What decisions maybe could you put in front of him to say, what do you think about this? What situations in your life where it feels like there's darkness, could you say, I need your help? Jesus would love to help. So welcome the light, walk in the light. And then lastly, Witness to the light. Verse 12 again. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Did you, did you notice that? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he says, you will have the light in you. To welcome Jesus is to welcome his light into your life. And that light radiates to those around you. You may not feel like it. You may feel like you're getting about one out of ten at the moment in your Christian life or how you're living your life. But whatever the reality is, Jesus, if he lives in you, he shines. People notice it. They may not say it, but they notice it. John the Baptist, uh, it says in John 1, said he came as a witness to testify concerning the light 
He himself was not the light. We're, we're not the light. Let's not get the wrong impression. We're, we're not Jesus. But he came as a witness to the light. You are a witness to the light of Jesus. What I loved about um, my friend who, who came, who's the, the parent of uh, Barney's school friend who came to the light party, was she just went, wow, what is this? It was so easy. She was like, tell me more. I'd love to come. What else is there that I could come to? Uh, we didn't really do anything, anything other than say, would you like to come and see? On Alpha, uh, at the mo- I, I'm on Alpha at the moment. It's a great group that we've got. I had to miss it this week. I'm desperate to get there on Wednesday. Um, there's a lovely guy in our group who's not a Christian. I think he'd say he's a Buddhist. And uh, if you're watching, hi. Uh, but uh, we, had, we had such a great discussion and one of the things that he, we, we sort of went around and said, why have you come here? And, and he said, well, it's because two years ago, I worked with someone in a co-working space. And there was something about them that was really, uh, I couldn't put my finger on it. In fact, he said, this person had amazing energy and peace. And he said, I just wanted to find out a bit more. So we got talking, found out that this person was a Christian. They said that they go to this church. This was two years ago. And said, you should try Alpha. And for two years, I've been thinking, I must try Alpha. And then he turned up for the first week. He said, I just want to learn what this is all about. The light shines. We are a witness to the light. In your workplace, you may not feel like it, but you are a light. In your course, in your house, in your flat share, whatever you're in, you are a light. A witness to the light of Jesus. I, uh, I read this week uh, about Dan Walker, who is, um, used to present BBC Breakfast, if you ever watched that. He was a sports uh, reporter before that. He now works for Channel 5. And there was an article all about him uh, in The Guardian this week. And about halfway down, uh, he's asked about his Christian faith. He's been a Christian uh, since very early days. And um, this is what he said. He said, the most important thing for me in terms of my faith is when it gives me perspective When it comes to the job, I love it, but I am not defined by my career. And then he says, because of my faith, I don't work on Sundays. It's not something else anyone else had to adhere to. My sister is a nurse and works on Sundays all the time. But I often work really hard on those six weeks, six days of the week, so that I can be with my family on that seventh day. I was really interested by that because that is quite countercultural. And when he went for the job, he said, this is one of my red lines. And you can imagine getting, can you imagine getting the job that you've always dreamed of? And they say, great, we're all ready to offer you the job. Anything else you want to say? Yeah, I've got a few conditions. What? Conditions? This is the job of a lifetime. No, no, I really believe. And I love what he says. My job does not define who I am. Such is his security in Jesus and you know what? That shines. Reading that, you might not agree with him. You might think, I, I wouldn't do that. Other people might think, well, I, I think that's not what I would do. You know, I'm not a Christian. But isn't there something amazingly powerful about that stand? You know, as we witness to Jesus in whatever way it looks like in our workplace, he shines. He shines out of us, whether we know it or not. Gordon Fee uh, died this week. He was one of the the sort of foremost uh, theological scholars, New Testament scholars. He's Pentecostal by background. uh, And his particular focus was on the work of the Holy Spirit in uh, Paul's letters. And in fact, throughout throughout the New Testament. 
And uh, he had this interesting line, which I read about him, about the light shining out. And about, I think it relates to this passage. He said this, the key to life in the spirit for some is to spend much more time in quiet thanksgiving and praise for what God has done and is doing and promises to do and less time on introspection focused on your failure to match up to the law. It's really interesting. I'm going to read that again. The key to life in the spirit is to spend more time in thanksgiving and praise for what God has done, is doing, and promises to do, and less time in introspection focused on our failure to match up to the law. Don't you think that's what this woman would have done? She hasn't matched up to the law at all. But what's she going to do? Wallow in that? Or is she going to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for forgiving me. I, I've got a new chance, a fresh start. I just want to live my life for you. I just want to follow you. You know, if that was the response of the woman, if that is the encouragement of this passage, then be assured that Jesus might be speaking to you tonight. Will you welcome him again tonight? Will you choose to walk with him step by step? And will you allow him to shine out of you, to witness to who he is as he gives you the power through his spirit. Amen.